Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Trendsetters podcast episode. Today, I'm joined by Jacob Chinina, an expert into all things artificial intelligence and machine learning. So sit back, relax, but pay close attention as we dive into all things AI. Jacob, it is truly an honor to have you on today. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure. So the first question I have for you, we, we hear about, about artificial intelligence and machine learning all in the headlines, and maybe we listen to uh, a little bit too much Elon Musk and Joe Rogan podcast talking about AI and, and the fears. And we, you know, we see a lot of the headlines and, and surface level news, but I'd love to get a sense from you, what is the, what is the core of AI and, and what is kind of that history? Because I think there's so much of that history in terms of how things were built that defines kind of the future of what that looks like. So I'd love it if you could kind of dive into that. Kind of talking about this fear about AI and lots of these things that you often see in the headlines. Before I jump into the history there, I want to just kind of debunk at least one myth here. And the myth is, is that AI is going to replace humans. And if you really understand the, the, the funda- fundamentally what AI really can do, it's really good at mimicking patterns that have happened in the past. And it is absolutely awful at doing things that are novel and that have never been done before. Mm-hmm. There's this concept in machine learning and AI called the black swan problem. You can train a computer to say, hey, that's a, that, this picture has a cat in it. This picture has a tree in it. This picture has a, a person holding, uh, wearing a Nike t-shirt and a pe- can of Pepsi. You can do that, but that's only if you have a human that goes behind the scenes that actually knows what those things are and trains the machine to, and teaches it, kind of like the way you would teach a little kid. Hey, by the way, I don't know. I know Mr. AI, you don't know much yet, but look, this right here is a can of Pepsi. This here is a car. It needs to be taught. And when you look at lots of what marketers do, I, I know that we there's CMOs, business leaders, lots of the audience of this podcast. These jobs are never going to be automated by AI. They're simply not. Because every day that you show up at work, there is something completely novel, something, some new scenario, some new customer some new marketing message that needs to be crafted towards people in a specific region, people with certain demographics, psychographic preferences. And if you want to really communicate with those people in a way that resonates with humans, there is an element of creativity of doing something that has never been done before that AI simply cannot match. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to, on the other hand, something that is involves less creativity, when you think of, for example, a lots of automatic car driving, when, when the light turns green, you drive. When there's a car in front of you, you slow down. That's not really creative. It's very functional. A garbage truck, garbage truck driver, lots of jobs will be automated away when it comes to these jobs that are purely functional, like stop in front of the garbage can. Now align the garbage grabber with the garbage can and lifts it up, dumps it in. Every day you see those garbage trucks driving around your neighborhood. That is a job that can absolutely be function, can be done. There's not a lot of creativity that's in it. It just needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And that is where AI is really great. And that's where you're going to see lots of disruption happening. So if you are in a space that really values creativity, you are going to be in business for a long time. Yeah, and I think it's it's really uh, vital that that you note that because I think uh, 
once we overcome that initial fear and some of the fear mongering that's pushed out within the AI sphere, I think that then it allows us to approach it with a truly open mindset. So I like that you address that and, and I couldn't agree more at a certain level. Uh, there, there is that intuition and uh, creativity that that can't be forged by any AI nor automation. Absolutely, Jake. And when you look at the jobs that bring higher job satisfaction, it has been shown through research that people that have creative jobs typically enjoy, enjoy their jobs a lot more. So when you think about the opportunity that AI has on the economy, it allows more people to transition from doing very tactical, reactive, or functional work where you're just following a routine set of instructions. And it empowers humans to be more creative. That busy work is removed and people are empowered to think at a more creative level. So that's really, well, just, just as you said, Rather than framing this in the context of fear, let's frame this in the context of what do machines do well and what do humans do that machines can't? And let's use AI to empower humans to be even more creative and do what we do best. I love that because I think uh, one, of the, one of the statistics I, I hate that we spend so much time looking at is the uh, unemployment rate. And the primary reason being... We, we have this be, be a guider and a leading indicator of a frothy economy and things of that nature and, and politics and so on, but isn't the ultimate goal. And I think, uh, you know, you've all know Harari really explores as well in some of his books, but isn't the ultimate goal of humanity being more so centered around productivity and how we can create the most output with the least amount of input? Because if our goal was just for everyone to have a job, we, we should have stayed in the stone age where everyone had to, had to be doing something at all times in order just to stay alive. So I love the conversation on that, and I love how you point to AI's application to, to make those jobs more, more enjoyable and, and have a greater sense of ultimate productivity and output. Because I think at a macro level in terms of like global economy, that's what should be our guiding indicator. Um, and, and, you know, politics aside of it, I, I just see that as something that, that is uh, mutually beneficial for, for all of humanity. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And so, you know, you, you mentioned and kind of preluded to some of the history of AI, but, but I guess before diving into that. So I'd love to, to take a look at that, of ultimately what that looks like now that we've kind of gotten past that fear part. So, so what, what, what is the history of AI? I know it was only decades ago that, that artificial intelligence was able to, to first beat uh, the first human in a chess match. And, and I know we've come a long way since, but I'd love to get a sense of what that foundation of artificial intelligence ultimately is and how it's kind of been crafted and forged since. I really like how you commented just now, Jake, on not focusing so much on employment rate, but really focusing on outcomes. Mm -hmm. From my perspective, many machine learning and data science people will disagree with me on this. They will say that the definition of AI is something that uses machine learning or advanced statistics under the hood. From my perspective, AI is an outcome. Mm -hmm. AI is an outcome where you have a piece of technology that perceives its environment and performs tasks that previously used to require manual human intervention. It's a little bit of a mouthful, but I'm going to jump into the history to kind of unpack that definition that I just shared. Mm -hmm. Claude Shannon, back in the 20s, was people have referred to him for years and years as the father of AI. And if you Google Claude Shannon, you'll, you'll see some picture of 
quad holding an electronic mouse with tabletop maze. And he programmed this mouse using circuits to go forward until it hits a wall and then take a 90 degree turn when it hits an obstacle and then go forward again until it hits another obstacle and to programmatically make turns and go forward when there's space in front of the mouse until it goes, it goes and traverses the entire maze and comes out and gets the cheese at the end. And really, you, when you look at the technology that powers this, it's called, to, to use the technical term, it's called conditional logic. Mm-hmm. And what that means is if this condition is met, then do blah, 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 blah. And it's very, very simple. And people would today would not call this AI at all. Mm-hmm. Because when you go to Gmail and you open your email, then you better believe that the coders for Gmail have tons of lines of code in there that say, if you get a new email, then make the email pop up in the inbox. If the person, you know, if the user clicks on the email, then mark it as unread. If this, then that. If Mm -hmm. this, then that. If this, then that. Would you consider that to be AI? No. People have taken that technology innovation for granted because we use it all the time. Every piece of code, every piece of software out there uses a consumer piece of software that we'll use regularly. There's at least hundreds of conditional statements in the code. Mm -hmm. And, but Claude Shannon, they said, wow, this is, this would have normally, it's acting autonomously. This mouse is perceiving its environment. And therefore this is artificial intelligence. That's where that term emerged. Now, nowadays, that conditional logic became kind of old. And then we're like, okay, that's not artificial intelligence anymore. We started programming lots of different things. And people stopped referring to that as artificial intelligence. But then machine learning came around. And machine learning doesn't just incorporate one data point. If there is a wall in front of me, that means that's one data point. It's not looking at two data points. It's literally one data point. Mm-hmm. And it gets a little bit more complex from a math perspective when you're looking at multiple data points. But that's where statistics kind of became the next frontier of artificial intelligence for a couple of years. There were some computer vision use cases, but they were really, really awful because the statistics was not yet powerful enough to incorporate all of the data from a picture. Mm -hmm. When you look at the self-driving cars, for example, Tesla, self-driving cars, it's an amazing experience just going on to self-drive mode. And it, what data does it use? It doesn't use one data point like the mouse. It uses it images. It uses every pixel with the cameras that are mounted on. There's, there's different technologies to use, not just cameras, but let's just stick with the camera to make it simple. Mm-hmm. Every single pixel is a data point. If, if it's a high-res image, that's even more data points. And now that's really comp. Like, how do you fit that into a stats function? Stats was not powerful enough to power that. And so that's why the computer vision was really, really crummy for a long time. But then deep learning happened and really brought it to the next level. So that's kind of how it, the, the deep le- learning revolution happened in 2000, around 2013. There were some big breakthroughs there using GPUs. And that has unlocked a lot of the vision-related use cases. But in my opinion, computer vision is not even 
the most relevant or useful thing to marketers. There is another branch of AI that I find to be way, 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 way more valuable to marketers, to business folks. Mm -hmm. And that I think will continue to drive lots of disruption in years to come. And and this is, it's called uh, personalization. That's kind of the the business friendly term for this, the most generally useful technology of AI that AI has. Yeah. And you mentioned that, you mentioned deep learning. These are some of the topics that that are certainly, I would say, less often um, spoken about within within the AI realm. We, We tend to loop a lot of these together because they stem from those origins, but uh, each one has its its vast own complexities. So, is there anything happening within the with within the AI or, or machine learning realm um, that that you would say is not spoken about enough or is simply underrated? I, I I'd love to to dive into that because I think I think again we focus too much on uh, some of the high level things and we don't see you know kind of the underlying efforts and what those look like. So, is there anything that that's frankly just being missed by the market right now or simply just not talked about enough yeah and i'm going to mention it right now it's personalization and personalization is something that lots of folks are familiar with and you're like okay that's not so underrated i hear about personalization all the time but this is my opinion and if you talk to other folks in the space you'll get you'll, you'll get folks that disagree with me on this but my personal opinion even though personalization is talked about a lot, it is has so much room to grow that it really is underrated. It will defy and define and disrupt every consumer experience and really be a game changer for pretty much any business in any vertical whatsoever. Uh, when it comes to computer vision, kind of comparing this to computer vision, there's lots of use cases there, like AI to detect cancer from heart imaging, colonoscopies, tons of tons of use cases there in the physical world. But mm-hmm. that really doesn't apply to the work of many marketers. It doesn't apply to, you know, many information technology companies, digital marketers. But personalization, what this fundamentally means is that you have a unique consumer with unique preferences, and you are tailoring your service to them in a way that recognize their individuality. That is a concept that does apply to every business that services customers. Yeah, and, and I think uh, the personalization one, it, it certainly is mentioned, but, but perhaps our understanding of how big and, and ultimately like large and impactful that personalization can be is is maybe not understood. I certainly we can we can personalize the the name attached to the to, to the automated email that they're they're receiving or or the optimized time. But I don't think we've yet to see that that truly come to fruition. And uh, you know, I guess I guess kind of with that in mind, for for a lot of the listeners right 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 now listening, this is certainly a subject that they're likely going to need to and want to dive further into. So let's say someone needed to learn about AI for a test or a project they have coming up, but they only have three hours to learn as much as they can. What Are there any particular resources you would recommend uh, in terms of learning or, or grasping it enough to at least be dangerous enough in, or, or at least understand at a very foundational or principled level to be able to make decisions on, um, maybe they're not in the weeds, but, but be able to make like a high level decision on, uh, are there any good resources that, that you recommend? 
Absolutely. I, I have a YouTube channel and it, it's, it's called Democratizing AI with Jacob Chinina. Mm-hmm. And there are, there's quite a lot of resources out there, but I found that lots of the resources on data science and AI tend to be, there's lots of data scientists, really smart people talking on the subject. A lot of it is very, very technical. And my goal with that YouTube channel is to make it very, very simple. There's a series of videos on the topic. So that is one that you can check out, Democratizing AI with Jacob Chinina. Hmm. Other resources, Andrew Ang, he has, he was a co-founder of Coursera, big guy at Google, uh, now running deeplearning.ai. He has a great course. It's called, it's called AI for Everyone. So that, that one's also very, very simple, very high level. I recommend that one as well. Yeah, yeah. Those are some good resources. And I always love uh, plugging that in there. And, and you know, the, the goal of our Trendsetters podcast is for our listeners to continue cultivating and being ultimately a trendsetter. So uh, there's certainly no crystal ball or way to predict or map the future. But, but for you, as you think about the next decade ahead, are there any particular innovations that stand out to you that are uh, inevitably going to come to fruition over the next decade within the AI realm. Um, I'd love to just, you know, imagine, uh, you know, the, the ultimate potential of these technologies and, and breakthrough innovations. Um, so, so I guess for you, as you think about the next decade ahead, what, what stands out to you in the AI realm? Yeah, kind of building on personalization. Uh, you, you mentioned that marketers, you have the ability to send an automated email that swaps some sort of placeholder with someone's name. That's kind of personalization level one. You can go a lot deeper there. And I think one really big opportunity is using third-party data. I've, throughout my career at Adobe and Oracle, both of these companies, we've, we've worked with really many, many, many of the Fortune 500 companies, uh, the big retailers that are in the shopping malls. And it's been pretty amazing to me to see how bringing in some data from a part of some partner that says, for example, hey, I know this person has purchased uh, camping gear in the past, or I know this person has purchased yoga gear on another website. And then using that data to personalize your email marketing to be like, hey, from day one, you just subscribe to my email list and you're getting this daily messages that I already know without showing you everything in my catalog. I already know because of this external data source that I have that you're interested in yoga. So here, check out some yoga gear or from there's other data vendors. They'll sell you data about how many kids they have. Um, some some of the use cases that I've worked on with airline companies, uh, for example, if you are uh, someone with kids and you're, you, you've signed up to a series of email messages, then instead of just showing some generic message, you say like, show them, uh, show a picture of someone holding hands with their kids on the beach uh, versus a single person where you might just show them and, you know, a significant other. I've seen more and more, uh, you know, I have kids and I I kind of giggle giggle when I see some marketing messages that are clearly tailored at people with my uh, to my demographics, and it really is. We don't think of that as AI, but that is AI because when you go to a small store where there's the small business owner who knows you well, or like a small boutique store, and they're like, "Hey, I know you. You've been here in my shop before. I know that these are your interests, and I know you by name." and 
check out these jeans there or check out, I've got this new product release I thought you'd be interested in. That is tailoring your message. That is what a human does. And if you can take that human intelligence, that adaptability, that person, that ability to speak to a consumer in a unique way that dynamically updates and adapts based on their unique preferences as a human being, that is artificial intelligence. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. And I can't wait to see the, the future of what that personalization holds for marketers, because I think it, it's something that's incredibly beneficial towards end consumers. One of the biggest problems, you know, and especially for us focused on the Gen Z demographic is we want to, when we want to lump a, a demographic into one particular category, when, you know, we, we might look the same at a surf, surface level to a social platform, you know, oh, the, the, you know, this guy, he's 21 years old, he's a white dude, he lives in Kansas City, Missouri, he's interested in entrepreneurship and business, he spends way too much time listening to podcasts and, and creating TikToks. So here's where we're going to throw that. I think that personalization in the future is something that's going to be equally beneficial towards consumers. And I can't wait to see that come to fruition. And, and my final question I have for you, um, and this is certainly an interesting one and, and kind of a, a, a taller order, uh, but this was just re released six hours ago. It, I think it's been in the news cycle a little bit, but the White House actually just launched the, uh, officially launched the National Artificial Intelligence Initiative Office, um, which I think passed with the act in, in 2020. Uh, but let's say they, they were to appoint you in charge of that and politics aside and, and getting through bureaucracy and red tape, let's say you were in charge of the National Artificial Intelligence Initiative Office, whatever that ends up becoming, right? If you were in charge of that, where would you spend your time or energy or efforts in terms of either exploration, research, regulation, whatever you see best fit, but at a macro kind of national level, where do you think uh, maybe leaders should be should be looking into uh, in terms of AI? Great question, Jake. Framing my thought here, I come from a tech background. I come from a business background. And within this space, we think a lot about delighting our customers. We think a lot about efficiency and servicing as many customers as we possibly can. And really putting on my product innovator or my, my trendsetter hat here, I think that there's a lot of opportunity to see growth in terms of how the government services its consumers or its constituents, whatever the right term is there. Mm -hmm. And one way that the government can drive even more positive impact for good is in improving their operations, number one. And number two, there's lots of regulation in the healthcare space that causes lots of inefficiency. And that's also another big area for, for tons of opportunity for innovation. With uh, human intelligence for artificial intelligence, we're working with companies that are doing AI, detecting AI in colonoscopies, detecting other heart conditions from scans. And lots of the, even if you're a doctor, there's some sort of mundane aspects where you're, you're hooking someone up to a machine and you're looking through through it's not necessary not all of it is creative and that's just just a few few narrow examples and i think that there's so much room to grow for ai in the health space and so much opportunity and it may not even be like if i were running the ai initiative this ai initiative office lots of the low-hanging fruit may not necessarily be in some sort of really sophisticated computer vision applications but really just using AI to personalize how 
the government services the citizens of the country and reducing lots of the mundane works, lots of the work, the, the work that government employees do is very operational, very tactical, very step one, step two, step three. And I think that human beings are naturally intelligent. I think every human being has potential to be genius, to be creative. That's what humans do best. And I would love to unlock more of that genius potential in the citizens than in the um, among all of those brilliant people that work in the government to service the American people. Yeah, I love that. And that's that's quite an inspiring mission. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's something that we could certainly see application for. So hopefully we see some progress there. Fingers crossed. But all in all, Jacob, it was truly an honor having you on today. And for all of our listeners here, I hope this gave you a good sense of the potential application um, of artificial intelligence, particularly in the uh, how that's going to change consumer environments and, and ultimately marketing um, and, and even at a much larger kind of macroeconomic level as well. So, Jacob, it was truly an honor and, and uh, everyone be sure to go check out Jacob's YouTube channel on the democratization um, of AI. And I will see you all next week.